Well, today we are, uh, at this time, going to continue uh, our study in the Scriptures uh, in uh, 1 John. This afternoon we will have our Torah study and uh, talk about a number of issues in uh, that portion. In fact, one of them will come up in our message here. Uh, But in 1 John, we've come to a very interesting place in the third chapter, okay? And last week, I kind of introduced it, and it's sort of a theme, one of the themes of uh, this uh, little little letter, uh, and that is uh, the love of God, the love of God. There are many famous passages in these, uh, in these chapters about the love of God. This is where we read about God is love and, and, uh, and passages uh, uh, like that. And we've been uh, in this book for a while, so we, uh, we know that uh, John was um, answering uh, some uh, questions about people who had left their uh, fellowship left their group because of what they were teaching and and the issue of uh, that the people left and the and the people that were remaining were wondering what what was happening was this wrong was this right and and so on so that is a lot of what he's uh, uh, talking about here but in chapter three uh, we looked uh, last time uh, just at verse eleven. <laughs> Uh, where uh, we read, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And we talked all about that in light of current events and being a testimony to this world. We talked about the uh, issues, the the sad event that took place in Orlando, Florida, and and how do we uh, apply this, even though it's talking about really loving the brethren Certainly, uh, the application is into this world, and how, how, do we, how do we do that? We talked about that last week. But now we want to continue in, in the text. Uh, now, it's interesting that uh, he brings up Cain and Abel here. So uh, just to read it uh, you know, in its uh, context, so he says in verse 11, "...for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another." Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So, in bringing up Cain and Abel, it's rather interesting, because at this time when John wrote this, there was already a a midrash, there was teaching uh, about Cain and Abel and about who Cain was, and what his sins really were, and so on. Now first, when you go back to the text, it's interesting, in uh, Genesis, if you go all the way back there to the uh, fourth chapter, a lot of times people will ask, well, you know, or say, that uh, the reason that Cain was rejected was because he didn't bring the right kind of sacrifice. He didn't bring the right kind of offering. And there may be some truth to that. However, when you read the text carefully, we see that it was his attitude that brought him down more than it was the offering that he brought. Okay? So uh, if we read it actually um, from the beginning. Uh, Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. 
And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And so, from the text, we see that Cain's downfall comes because of his anger, not because of the sacrifice. God says, why are you, why has your countenance fallen? And that means, you know, why do you have that frown on your face? Why are you upset? And God tells him, he doesn't say anything negative about that offering. But he does say uh, that if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Uh, and, uh, and we see that uh, uh, Cain uh, does not take this uh, advice from God. And Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have, I, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. Uh, from the ground. So, you know, it is also just in passing, the famous, am I my brother's keeper? When Cain says it, he's saying that very sarcastically. He's not saying that as a profound statement of truth. He's saying it very, am I my brother's keeper? Like, why are you asking me that? You know? Uh, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So Cain came to represent evil, came to, came to represent uh, murder, uh, came to uh, uh, represent all that is not righteous. And it is uh, very interesting, when you look at uh, the uh, ancient literature outside of the Bible, both from the time just before the uh, New Covenant, uh, and during the time afterwards, when you have like the rabbinic literature. Uh, it's interesting. Let me just read a little quote here. Uh, Cain was also viewed as a type of utter perverseness, an offspring of Satan. That's rather interesting. Uh, that's from uh, Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, which was written maybe the first century, maybe the second century, maybe the third century, somewhere in that uh, time period. Uh, an offspring of Satan, a son of wrath a lawless rebel who said there is neither a divine judgment nor a judge. See, it's rather interesting. Uh, neither a divine uh, judgment nor a judge. It's interesting because in this letter, one of the things that John is addressing is the issue of sin, that there is sin, that there is judgment, but that there is, a, uh, you know, there is um, an antidote for sin. We can confess our sins. And it's interesting, he says, those who say, uh, you know, there are no sin, make God a liar. And so it's kind of interesting 
that Cain carries this baggage uh, of these thoughts and teachings which uh, kind of reflect perhaps the group of people that had been part of this community uh, but had left. And so it's interesting here that he mentions uh, uh, Cain. Uh, and so without going into even more a description, we see what Cain represents. Cain represents all that is not of God. Okay, And so that's why he says here, not as Cain, who was of the evil one. It's kind of interesting that he says right here, he was of the evil one. And you know, one of the things that I sometimes wonder is when we look back at this literature, uh, you ask yourself sometimes, what came first, the chicken or the egg? In other words, is some of these things in the literature of the rabbis because it was in uh, the New Covenant? Uh, does the New Covenant reflect uh, you know, the thinking of the time? Whichever direction it flows, one of the things that we see is that there is quite an understanding uh, between what was written in the New Covenant and what was understood by, by the people in the world around them. So it is kind of interesting that you see in this very famous uh, rabbinic uh, literature, uh, Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, uh, that Cain is of the evil one. And so we see it here. So not as Cain, who was of the evil one, who slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers, uh, his brothers were righteous. Uh, and so he is here uh, relating uh, uh, Cain as those who are, uh, we'll say mildly, unloving, those who are murderous, those uh, who are evil, okay? Uh, and then he says uh, here, do not marvel, brethren, uh, if, the world, uh, if the world hates you. So uh, he is, he's saying it as if, uh, don't be surprised if the world hates you because the world is like Cain. The world is a place uh, not of love, uh, uh, certainly the kind of love that God uh, uh, talks about. Uh, now, it's interesting. This is a, a very interesting verse uh, uh, for a number of reasons. Sometimes we think that from a verse like this, that, well, of course the world is going to hate us, okay? Uh, because we believe in the Lord and, and people don't like Yeshua, and they don't like what Yeshua stands for, so they're going to hate us. Oftentimes, the reason that people hate us is uh, because we're hating them first, because we are uh, displaying uh, an attitude that uh, is not attractive of God, that uh, does not uh, reflect the uh, nature of God. And we talked a little bit about this uh, last time. Uh, uh, last week we said the challenge for us uh, right now is when people, just people, look at Messiah followers and the way we relate to issues of this world, what's the difference between believers in Yeshua and radical Muslims? Unfortunately, in some quarters, you don't see a difference as we point fingers 
And even if we're not trying to give off an attitude of disgust and hatred, see? And so it's, uh, it's rather interesting that in, in, in this book, in 1 John, in the fourth chapter, which you know, uh, talks all about why it is that we're called to love, uh, love the brethren, it says, we love because he first loved us, in verse 19 of chapter 4. So, you know, we need to be like Yeshua in the world. We need to love so the world sees Yeshua and the world can, can see who Yeshua is and the nature of his love. Now, what that means, how we do that, I, again, we've, uh, we've talked about that. But he's saying here, do not marvel if the world hates you. And so certainly... I, uh, we are called to reflect the love of God. And unfortunately, uh, and in John's world, those who had left certainly did not reflect the love of God. And we can certainly say in our own world that uh, the, the ship has left the dock, right? And uh, we could say another way of saying is we've left the, the, you know, the, the moorings of uh, biblical ethics and, uh, and righteousness uh, have moved away. And so the more we display what it means to be Messiah followers as we relate to each other in, the, in this text where he's talking about loving one another, certainly uh, uh, we become more and more distant from the world around us. Uh, and so, uh, therefore, he interjects this statement because the world... Uh, represents, so to speak, uh, Cain, whereas we are to be, as it were, able of uh, bringing this offering, uh, as it were, uh, uh, to God. So he says now, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love uh, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has uh, eternal life uh, abiding in him. So he's bringing out this truth that one of the telltale signs of knowing Messiah, of entering from death to life, is, is loving the brethren, is loving people, right? And didn't Yeshua say that? When you talk about what you've heard from the beginning, you know, when Yeshua talked about the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is our neighbor. It's not necessarily the, the person who is just like us, but we have this calling to demonstrate uh, a selfless love. And remember that it's, he's not talking about a sentimental kind of love. He is, of course, uh, talking about uh, a selfless love, a selfless love that the Lord himself uh, displayed. And that is something that we need, to, uh, we need to practice. We need to practice among ourselves. We need to uh, uh, practice so that when we're outside of the walls of Beth Messiah, when we're outside of here, we have the capacity to, uh, to love others. Uh, to love others by word and deed, as, uh, as he says here, okay? Now, when he says everyone who hates his brother is a, a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, 
Uh, this certainly, if we are people who are familiar with the New Covenant, this should remind us, right, and perhaps uh, uh, John even had this in his mind, of the Sermon on the Mount. When Yeshua says these words in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21, You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go your way first to be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer to the, so that for, and you be thrown into prison. For us, I, I, looking back here in 1 John, John is bringing out the, the extreme point of this. See, it's, it's kind of... Um, um, ironic that this is the kind of teaching where we may be sitting you may be sitting here right now saying i have been around the block i have heard this a thousand times now you know i don't teach on this a thousand times because we we simply teach through the scriptures right uh, but oh the love of god of course love of god. but we need to really be challenged by this and ask ourselves do i demonstrate this kind of love do I demonstrate this kind of love with uh, not only people in the congregation, but perhaps uh, sometimes the most difficult way of demonstrating this love is with the people that live in our house, right? We may be pretty good at other kinds of love, but when it comes to this kind of love, selfless love, demonstrating love for the welfare of others, not tearing people down with the words that we say, and with the attitudes that we uh, demonstrate, uh, are we really loving, loving people? Loving our wives, our husbands, our children, uh, our friends, uh, uh, again, people we know, and as well as uh, uh, people we don't. For many of us, it can be a lot simpler to love people that I'm casually acquainted with because they, they, they don't irritate me as much as people that I know really, really well. See, uh, and what this uh, book, as, it, as we move forward in it, will demonstrate is that the only way to love this way, the way Yeshua loved by laying down his life, is if we have his very love in us. This is not the kind of thing you can just muster up. This isn't just being a nice person in this world. This is a supernatural kind of, of love that really can lay one's life down, whether we're talking literally or metaphorically, laying down our lives for others. It's easy to love when it, builds, when it builds us up. But the kind of love that Yeshua demonstrated, for example, again, he, uh, you know, he, he uses Yeshua as, uh, as the illustration, that when you go back to a passage like, uh, you know, like Isaiah 53, a passage that we're probably somewhat familiar with. When you read it carefully, 
uh, beginning in verse 2, when it says, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. In other words, contrary to all those pictures and movies, Yeshua did not look like Jeffrey Hunter, okay? He did not have blue eyes. In fact, he just wasn't appealing. And you know, you know how that is? There are some people that you sort of gravitate toward. Like they fill up the room when they come in, having sort of that like a charisma type of vibe that they give off. Yeshua was not like that. I think it's kind of funny that we often identify that with spirituality today. But that's another story for another day. That if we, if we look good and we fill up the room, you know, that is a great sign of the, of the, of the presence of God, the presence of the Ruach. However, uh, Yeshua evidently didn't qualify there. So then in verse 3, it says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. We didn't think much of him. We didn't like him. We hated him. And he was acquainted with grief. He was forsaken of men. This is the kind of love that the Lord Yeshua demonstrated. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, verse 4 is, uh, is an amazing verse. The first two lines basically saying, uh, you know, the reality is he carried our sorrows, he bore our sins, our griefs. But we thought he was bearing his own burdens and sins. We thought he was smitten of God. We thought he was afflicted. That's how we viewed him. And Yeshua so to speak, took it. He allowed himself to suffer. Not just Yeshua died for our sins and he rose from the dead, you know? That dwell on that for a moment. He suffered for our sins. This is the kind of love that John is talking about in 1 John. So loving people is a pretty heavy-duty thing. Nor is it a simple thing or an easy thing. Love is laying down our lives for one another. There's no greater love, as, as we read in John chapter 10, than when someone lays down their lives for another. When Yeshua said it, he was talking about that literally. But it is true in every sense, uh, in every sense of it. And so, therefore, uh, we are called to love the brethren in that way. And when we don't, it's tantamount to murder. Not literally murder, but tantamount to murder. And it is a sin that keeps us from proper fellowship with God and can even hold us back even as a community. So if we wonder, why, does it, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? Well, some of it may just simply be the providence of God, you know. But it also can be because we are not loving properly. Loving properly means laying down our lives. Loving properly means caring when it's inconvenient. Loving properly uh, means loving one another like Yeshua loved us. And it is a sign of knowing the Lord. And so if you're looking for signs, loving the brethren is a sign of passing out of death to life. 
And indeed, does not the world need to see what that kind of love is? And perhaps that is what those sinners found attractive in Yeshua to come to him and to want to hear what he had to say. So he says, now we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, as we've said. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's very much like James, right? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed uh, and in truth. And so here is a call for us uh, and for these people, he's saying, to live out the love of God in Yeshua in uh, practically serving the needs of others. Now, uh, in verse 17, uh, there's a little phrase here. It says, but whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his uh, heart uh, against him, closes his heart. That's a great little phrase. Uh, basically, it means shut the door to compassion. You know, I wonder how many of us can sit here today and say that, boy, my way of life is to have this heart of a compassion. So may we not close our hearts to uh, uh, compassion, and may we show compassion and the love of God uh, in the way that we serve each other, in the way that we serve each other. And certainly there are many, many different ways uh, that, uh, you know, that, that we can do that. Uh, certainly we know, uh, again, uh, looking at the life of Yeshua, uh, the way he demonstrated it. Uh, and so uh, that is a challenge, uh, a challenge for us. Now, there's something very interesting in this week's Torah portion that I think relates to this. I wrote about it in our, in our Darash. It's a very interesting uh, way that the Levites are described. Uh, in our Torah portion, you can turn with me back uh, for a moment to uh, Leviticus. Go to Leviticus. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Okay. In chapter 8, what we have here is the raising up. I'm sorry, numbers. Where am I? Uh, Bamidbar. A month out of touch. Uh, uh, in Bamidbar, Numbers. Uh, that was so you would know where Leviticus is in your Bible, So just so you know. All right? Okay. So in Numbers chapter 8, you have here the raising up of the, uh, of the Levites. And uh, we read here, beginning in verse uh, 9. So you shall present the Levites before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel. And present the Levites before the Lord, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands uh, on, on the Levites. Just stopping there, what's fascinating about that is that in other passages, this sounds very similar to the instructions, like in Leviticus, about presenting an offering, presenting an animal sacrifice. Okay? Even the word present is, is fascinating in this context. Present the Levites before the Lord, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Now you have illustrations of laying on of hands, 
Joshua does it, Moses does it, right? That has to do with smicha. But here, it's not exactly for that purpose. Uh, that of like ordination, okay? Then it says, Aaron shall then present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering. What an odd statement to make. As a wave offering from the sons of Israel, that they may qualify to perform the service of the Lord. Now the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, then offer uh, the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. In other words, for their sanctification. And that's something that we might normally see. And you shall have the Levites stand before Aaron and before his sons so as to prepare them as a wave offering to the Lord. That terminology is very unusual. To present people as an offering to the Lord. The Levites do offerings, but be presented as an offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. Then after that, the Levites may go in to serve the tent of meeting. But you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering. That was three times it says this. Uh, you shall present them as a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me. Completely, entirely given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of every first issue of the womb to be the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine among the men and among the animals. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. And so they are a substitute for the, for the firstborn of the sons of Israel to serve in this purpose. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the sons of Israel to perform the service of the sons of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel that there may be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. When you read this very carefully, it's not saying that the Levites are a gift in order that they might bring animal offerings, but that the Levites are the gift. And that by coming near the sanctuary, they are making atonement so that there be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. So they are, as the text says here, they are themselves an offering to God and they make atonement so that no plague may come uh, upon the sons of Israel. Now, obviously, they're not an atonement for sin. They're not the same thing as, you know, the sin offering or the guilt offering. And, and they're not dying here, okay? And they don't remove sin. But they serve as like a protection. It's like, a, it's a different kind of atonement. It's a deliverance from the plague, from a plague and you know, it is, it's rather interesting that uh, uh, there's even in, uh, in another place where we read about this issue of, um, of atonement. And that has to do with atonement money, okay? Uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 30, you're going to see something very, very interesting about this. 
Okay, in Exodus chapter 30, we read, uh, we read here, beginning in verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, then each one shall, each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among uh, them when you number them. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. The rich shall not pay more and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel when you give the contribution of the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. This atonement was not taking away their sins, giving them eternal life, but it says in the text what it was for, to keep the plague away from them. So it's like a deliverance, one might say. So it's interesting that here in Exodus chapter 30, we read about atonement money, and in Numbers chapter 8, we read about the Levites themselves serving as a wave offering uh, for the purpose of atonement so that a plague may not come upon the, the children of Israel. What the two texts have in common is it talks about this plague coming upon themselves or upon the children of Israel. The atonement money was that uh, in taking the census that they would uh, give this contribution so that no plague would come upon them. That was sort of like protecting themselves, one might say. But in Numbers chapter 8, the purpose for the Levites was in protecting the children of Israel. And, and so I think that serves as a marvelous illustration for us when we talk about loving, loving people, loving the brethren, and, uh, and serving uh, in love the way Yeshua loved us. In fact, I think that, that it gives a whole new way of looking at a passage like Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we read, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Spiritual service, very much like the terminology that would be used of the Levites' service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable uh, and uh, perfect. And then interestingly enough, not to take the time, but if you read farther down, you read for in verse five, for example, verse four, for example, for just as we are many members in one body and all our members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Messiah and individually members of one another. He talks, this passage talks about uh, showing deference to one another, uh, uh, preserving uh, the unity and the spirit and so on. Uh, and, and so it is rather interesting, I think, when, you, when we make that application uh, here in 1 John when we talk about loving one another. We are called upon, in that sense, don't take this out of, out of context here, but to make atonement, one might say, on behalf of others. To intercede on behalf of others for the purpose of deliverance. Uh, 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 
for the purpose of, of people being saved from the consequences of their sins by pouring our lives into other people. Sometimes I, uh, we do so and we are uh, misunderstood by everybody. We talked about this uh, a little bit uh, last week when we talk about how do you love you know, the, uh, the LGBT community, for example, but without condoning the sin of uh, homosexuality. Well, that is a tall order, but that is what we are called to do. We're not called to be haters. That's the way of Cain, no matter who we are. We are called to be lovers. And by doing so, we can be misunderstood by that community as well as the believing community. And isn't it great for us? It's like the trifecta. We can be misunderstood by both the Jewish community, the Christian community, and the community that we're trying to reach uh, outside of the Jewish community. We can be like totally misunderstood. Wow, how Yeshua-like is that? Right? Uh, and uh, and that, that takes a supernatural kind of love because you don't get back. It's not like, you're, it's not like that boomerang effect all the time. Like, you know what? I'm going to do this and I'm going to feel really good because people are going are gonna to love me back because I'm loving them. And don't we think down way deep inside sometimes that that's my motivation, that I'm going to feel good about myself because people are going to, maybe they'll like me or, or maybe they'll do what I want them to do or whatever the case may be. But loving like Yeshua is really laying down your life. We have a high calling as those Levites, Right? What do we read in, um, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, right? We are called a royal priesthood, 2.9. We are called a royal priesthood, royal priesthood, a priesthood of the king, the priesthood of Yeshua. We have a high calling to intercede on behalf of others, whether we're talking about in our community or outside of our community. And so it's important that we don't just run over these verses because it's such old hat. Of course, I'm supposed to love people. What else is new? Well, you know, I, you know it kind of reminds me of a, of a story. Uh, there was a guy who was uh, the, the new rabbi in the congregation, right? Uh, and uh, uh, when he came to candidate, he gave this stellar message about repentance. And everybody just uh, ate it up, loved it. Okay, this is our man. So he comes, and the first week that he's there, he gives the same message, right? And people are thinking, well, okay, well, maybe he forgot, you know, that he had, he had done that. So the next week comes, and he gives the same message, gives the same message again. Now they're thinking, well, boy, I mean, he's new. I hope there's not a problem. So that, I mean, that pulpit committee, they're like, you know, the elders are like, uh, I don't know, people are starting to ask questions. The third week, he does it again. And so they approach him, right? And of course, you know what he says to them. When you get this, we'll go on to something else, <laughs> right? And so uh, preaching on this unique kind of uh, covenantal love of God uh, never gets old. And it is always a, quite a challenge for us. But perhaps today we can look at it uh, as we're called to be that wave offering. We're called to make a difference in the lives of people. And sometimes 
pay the price for that love. But may I suggest, this is what our world needs to see. And that this is what makes us different and unique. As we practice it in our community via forgiveness, receiving, giving forgiveness, serving one another joyfully, this is the love that needs to be demonstrated in, in, our, uh, in our world. Uh, and so I think what we're going to do is actually uh, stop here uh, and we'll, uh, we'll continue uh, next time, uh, beginning, in verse, uh, beginning in verse 19. And so uh, let's be challenged by that. May we be people who demonstrate this kind of love. May we not go the way of Cain with greediness or evil or jealousy or, or uh, all of the, uh, the deeds of the flesh. But may we indeed exhibit uh, the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, kindness, uh, loving kindness, self-control, and things like these. Uh, may we demonstrate them in, in, in the midst of our community uh, and may it pour over and may we indeed be a light uh, to our community. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, I pray, God, that we would be, as it were, Yeshua in, in our world. Lord, I do pray, God, that um, by showing acts of chesed, acts of loving kindness, Lord, we might make a difference in our world. God, I pray, Lord, uh, that uh, indeed uh, through our speech, through the way we carry ourselves, through the works of our hands and of our heart, Lord, that we, be, might, we might be motivated by you and that we might make a difference as uh, the world views us, Lord. Sadly, God, I think that so many corners of our world views us as haters, r right or wrong. But Lord, sometimes it's because of the way that we carry ourselves and that, we, uh, that uh, we, we are very busy beating people over the head with the Bible and winning debates and arguments but not leading people in the way of righteousness, leading people uh, to the heart of Yeshua. Lord, I pray that we might be challenged by this. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us discernment. How to carry ourselves. Give us the words to say, fill us with your ruach, Lord. And you will put the words in our mouth. You will guide our hands and, and our hearts. Lord, we pray that we truly would display your love, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that it only comes from your presence within us. It only comes because of the death and resurrection of Yeshua. Lord, you loved us, as the famous verse says, Lord. Uh, you loved us so much that you sent Yeshua into this world to die for our sins, Lord. And we pray that we would embrace him Lord, and that we would begin to live that resurrection life in the fullness of the Ruach HaKodesh and really demonstrate that love. We love because you first loved us. Lord, may the people we encounter in this world love because we first loved them. And may we do so not with some sickening, sweet, sentimental kind of love, but the love that is demonstrated in action and teaching the truth in love of the word of God. May you guide and direct our paths in it. We pray in Yeshua's name.